Hi. Welcome to another episode of Paul Don Power, Power System Designs podcast on the latest in power and power design. I'm your host, Alex Paul, and today I've got Robert Gendron. He's the vice president of the PICOR business unit at Vicor, and also Steve Oliver. He's uh, the VP of the uh, VI chip series over at Vicor as well. And uh, they're they're uh, just come back from the road, and they're I guess in one way they're still on the road chatting here about uh, high voltage DC. They've been evangelizing it for quite a while, and they just recently finished a series of uh, seminars. So, gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thank you, Alex. Hi, how's everything going, Steve? How about you, Robert? Oh, very good. Thank you. Excellent. So, um, you have been uh, flogging the terrain about high voltage DC. It seems like it's finally a time has come for it. What do you gentlemen think? You've just been on the road talking to people about it. That's true, Alex. So this is Steve. Um, High voltage DC is something which has been established for quite a while now, but is really only gaining a lot of traction and adoption in the market, whether that's in the uh, high voltage data center environment with 380 volts DC or it could be in transportation, whether that's the 400 volts in a, a, a hybrid vehicle from, say, Toyota, 600 volts in a, an army vehicle like the Striker or the Paladin, and then up to 800 volts for earth-moving equipment like uh, excavators from Komatsu. So it's a huge breadth in terms of uh, looking at the high voltage, what it means in terms of the application, whether it's lower weight, smaller size, uh, saving fuel saving electricity bills. It's a huge area, and really we're coming up to a very, very fast adoption rate on that technology. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, Steve, um, when I think of it, I must admit the first thing pops into my head are guys like Randy Malik at IBM and the data center evangelists. So, right. you're, I mean, you're saying it's beyond that, but, I mean, wouldn't those other areas also engender their own power electronics because those are widely different power levels? They are indeed. So with the data center, um, obviously you referred to Randy and the IBM system. They've been using high-voltage DC, I'm guessing, for maybe eight years in the power series. Um, Within each cabinet, they convert from uh, high-voltage AC down to 350 volts DC and run that down the spine of the machine and then onto the individual blades. So that's been Mm -hmm. used for a long time. Recently, with companies like ABB and Emerson providing some excellent AC to 380-volt DC systems, obviously uh, referring to the Etsy standard or the ITU reference, that standard is now uh, widespread, and that comes down to maybe conversion stages of 1 kilowatt, 2 kilowatts, down to the lower voltages for the processor. Mm -hmm. If you consider something like a... Uh, an automotive application, you've got the, a huge lithium-ion stack, which might be, say, up to 425 fully charged on the voltage. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a thing called an auxiliary power unit uh, that converts down to 12 volts for a car battery or 24 volts for a truck or a bus battery because you still need to power your engine control unit, your power steering, your um, navigation system, your radio, your windshield wipers. So that's a kind of a two, three, four kilowatt block. And then if you go to applications such as uh, airframe, in in the airframe uh, industry, whether it's Airbus or Boeing, or it's somebody like Lockheed, then you're talking 270 volts DC in that case. 
and mm-hmm. there you're really replacing a lot of the hydraulics uh, going into electrical, electrical um, actuators rather than pure hydraulics. Right, all this fly-by-wire. Exactly, fly-by-wire. And if you think about power levels there, the, uh, the Boeing 787 Dreamliner uses about 1.3 megawatts of electrical power. That's an impressive uh, figure. That is a big number. So, in well, then case, also, if you think, consider it as a fraction of the engine power, it's you know negligible at the engineering level, but if you think about it from the applic- application level, that is a lot of juice. Exactly. So we've been uh, on the road, as you say. We've uh, also completed some uh, web-based seminar series, uh, finishing the last one this week, uh, based on all different aspects of high voltage, whether it's the data center, whether it's a microgrid for energy sustainability during a, a, an environmental crisis, or it's that 270-volt airframe. And a lot of it has been about how do we get the best system in place to convert from that high voltage down to something useful. And that's really where we, we start talking 48 volts, 28 volts, 24 volts, and from there it's the downstream converters. Mm-hmm. Now, so... Vicor, you've got different divisions looking at different things, different product lines addressing it. Where would you say is your most, the depth, the, the greatest penetration, which market space, what application space have you got the deepest penetration into right now? I would say, uh, Alex is Robert, I would say the, the early adopters, you know, we see, right, are the, uh, the computing people and probably the transportation people. You know, and in the computing space, we really see a full adoption that is uh, uh, 380 or high voltage down. And then once they come from 380, let's say to 48, uh, we also see adoption of 48 volt direct to processor type power solutions, uh, which we introduced or started to introduce over a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How's the response been? I mean, what, you, uh, this is obviously also a learning experience. You've got to teach the engineers that, how to implement the solutions properly so they get the maximum benefit out of it. How's it been going? Well, we know, you know, as Steve mentioned, we, we just are, are in the uh, uh, ending, uh, let's say, of our eight uh, uh, seminar or webinar um, um, broadcast. And um, out of all the webinars that Vicor has done, these webinars have received the highest uh, amount of attendance. So right there, I mean, it's a clear indication as far as the interest level uh, in high voltage. Uh, I think what, uh, what, what we're seeing now is as much as people are talking about high voltage, they're, they're you know, looking at clearly how do they implement it. And with our newer products, like the high voltage BCM we redu- uh, introduced in January, now they're seeing how they can actually implement high voltage solutions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and that's I guess that's the case. The more uh, the implementation occurs, the more other engineers are going to become interested. But also, the easier that implementation is to make. And your new series, it is. I've I've seen the devices. They actually are quite um, robust as well, and a good form factor. Do you feel that that's going to be an issue, uh, pinouts and form factor and anything proprietary at that level, or do you feel that the application space is so aggressive and so um, important to the end? product that there's not really that much of a need at this stage of mass standardization. I think this is, Steve, again, I think the, uh, the real hang-up for the adoption of high voltage was actually in the, the sockets, the, the plugs in the sockets, the adapters, the bus bar, uh, drop boxes, etc. 
that mm-hmm. was really the, the big uh, stumbling block because you'd say high voltage and people would say, well, what do you mean by high voltage? Because the ANSI, Etsy, um, IEEE do not agree on what we mean by high voltage. So when we're talking here, we're using the industry vernacular of, say, 200 volts up to 450, maybe 800 volts. And for the data center, as an example, until the uh, European Telecom Standards Institute, that's ETSI, and the International Telecommunication Union, the ITU, really got together and established this is the spec. This is exactly what we mean by 380 volts as a nominal. You can go down to 260, up to 400. Until that point, it was very difficult for a customer to adopt the technology because they, they had the worry, am I buying so, uh, am I buying VHS or am I buying Betamax? Mm-hmm, now we've got these mm-hmm, standards. Mm-hmm. It really came down to the plugs and sockets. And guys like Universal Starline coming in with the right kind of high-voltage plugs, sockets, really taking away all the risk and the unknowns in the industry. After that point, the, the energy conversion is really a slam dunk. Right. The infrastructure is the, most, uh, the critical factor, the bottleneck, as it were. Correct. Mm-hmm. So now... Robert, you were telling us about the uh, areas you have the greatest depth. What area do you see has the greatest promise? What do you see the greatest uh, expansion potential? Well, I mean, we know that, you know, if you look at power consumption, I mean, on an aggregate basis, right, clearly the data centers stand out uh, probably the most. Uh, But if you you try to aggregate uh, uh, power lost or power that could be gained in higher efficiency, when it comes to transportation equipment, both ground and in the air, uh, that also also becomes a, a quite a hefty number. So I think that what we're seeing is that high voltage is uh, being applicable uh, to, to multiple uh, industries and applications. And Steve, again, this is also a big area where we've seen different market sectors actually overlap into a, a synergistic environment. Um, If you were to look at the Toyota website, for example, front and center of their technology page, they have a microgrid system where they're talking about wind and and solar power coming in at a, uh, say, high-voltage DC bus. They've also got a feed from coal-fired, oil-fired nuclear power station coming in. But if that goes away, then you've got energy storage in the form of batteries. And guess what? Your Prius that's in the uh, driveway is an energy storage system. So you'll find that people like Toyota, people like BYD in China, they're advertising their vehicles, yes, in terms of miles per gallon or the equivalent or the well-to-wheel um, efficiency, so taking mm-hmm. into account any transmission or, or where the power is generated. Um, but they're also saying that, oh, my, my E6 unit from BYD can power a traditional home for five days in the event of a power outage. So really right. looking at the, the microgrid, whether it's a, uh, a green data center or it's especially in Japan and, and other areas where uh, earthquakes are a concern, can I use my car as a, a big battery backup? Exactly. Well, and, and that would also appeal to people who have uh, more internal systems as well, not just for the stability of the grid or the locality, but if you have, say, solar panels, you could be in a remote area and rely on your car for overnight bridging. Exactly. That's right. 
So it's a lot of, there are a lot of, applic- you're right, there are a lot of application spaces and they're all interlocking now, especially when you consider it within, in the context of the Internet of Things and the smart grid. Exactly, and with the Internet of Things, obviously, as well as having wireless communications, you could also superimpose a communication protocol on the power connection as well. So you could, you could link in various ways. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, what... Beyond that, what do you see as the largest barrier to acceptance within the industry, or do you feel that that's beyond now, and now it's just a case for adoption and growth? Um, I think there's obviously a a legacy of the incumbent uh, infrastructure. If someone's just finished their fantastic new AC distributed data center, they're going to look pretty silly if they suddenly say, no, we need to tear all that out and put in a DC system. But as we go through a refresh cycle, and it might take five years uh, to do that, then I think people will look at what do they need what it, in terms of processing or in, t- in terms of computing? What do they need in terms of redundancy? What do they need in terms of backup? What kind of load are they doing? If it's a, a simple Google search, then I don't know where that search goes. So if a, a computer trips in Tokyo, that signal or that question might be rerouted to uh, uh, Timbuktu if they have data centers there, and I'd yeah. get the answer back very quickly. So I think over time, as we do either new builds or retrofits of existing systems, DC will take off very, very quickly because of the energy savings, the size savings, the how much processing can you put in a square foot. All of those have huge benefits. Mm-hmm. And then, as you point out, in the case of vehicle systems, that'll be an expansion uh, independent of uh, primary infrastructure, infrastructure, but will be highly reliant on the secondary infrastructure. Exactly. There were some uh, notes from Continental where they uh, forecasted 30% of all vehicles on the road in 2025 would be hybrid or full electric. Hmm. Um, so that's, it's a huge adoption rate. Exactly, and especially I've seen the the new Porsche hybrid. There's actually hope for performance cars in that future world as well. Indeed, and the McLaren P1. Don't forget that one. That's right. This is well. Well, I saw Top Gear, and they kind of you know said nicer things about the Porsche. But that that's, I, <laughs> that's a different thing, gents. Oh, I always like to give my uh, interviewees the final word. So I'm going to ask you each for a little bit of a final thought on how you see the market and what other points or advice you'd like to leave our audience with before we close out the episode, okay? Um, I'll let Robert go first. Yeah, I think that what we see customers uh, who are really on the the leading uh, forefront are really trying to seek out how they can, you know, obviously gain higher efficiency gains, higher uh, uh, density with their products. And these are the the people that are are looking at adopting uh, higher voltage techniques uh, uh, first, let's say. And uh, uh, with this, uh, you know, again, as Vicor, we're providing the products that it really is turning high voltage into a, uh, very much like using uh, 12 volts. That is, the components that we make uh, look like an IC, function like an IC, function like uh, systems. In fact, we call it our component methodology. So that, uh, again, just as simple it is for someone to make a 12-volt motherboard, uh, we're able to make high-voltage systems, be it uh, 380 or 48 volts or, you know, any other high voltage, let's say, that someone typically has. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And how about you, Steve? 
I think the the real benefit we can bring is as a company and also as a, a network of companies um, is that we can we can work with people to deliver a whole system solution. In the seminar series that we're concluding, we've have uh, special guest presenters. We've had uh, uh, Hewlett Packard, Emerson, Universal, the Fraunhofer Institute in Germany, which is part of the DC Components and Grid Consortium, and we're ending off with uh, the U.S. Army, all talking about uh, high voltage DC. So, as well as the power conversion, it's the creation of that high voltage DC bus. It's the connectors. It's how you monitor the system and, and how it fits into a, a larger system, for example, with a microgrid. So it really is not just Vicor um, enabling this transition to high-voltage DC. It's, it's Vicor and associated companies like HP, like the U.S. Army, bringing in new technology for customers to use. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, exactly, and with um, those kind of partners, uh, I definitely say it's time to railroad. And as you say, in railroading, there is also a high-voltage GE locomotive out there. (laughs) Good one, good one. Well, hey, thank you, guys. I really appreciate you taking the time to be on the show today. Uh, And we definitely want to drag you back downstream to talk some more about high-voltage DC and take another snapshot of where it's going, okay? Well, thank you very much. Thank you, Alex. Oh, pleasure is always mine. And I'd like to thank everybody out there in the audience for taking the time to be with us. We wouldn't be here without you. Tell your friends. This is Alex Paul for Paul on Power. Have a great day. <laughs>